You are listening to MSP 1337. I'm your host, Chris Johnson, and I'd like to thank you for joining us today. Uh, first and foremost, I'd like to thank our sponsor, MSP Ignite. MSP Ignite offers a peer group experience that is unique to managed service providers in the technology industry. If you are serious about implementing a model for success through sharing and collaboration of best practices, this is the best way to do it. Head on over to msp-ignite.com to get more information. All right, on to the show. Uh, welcome everybody to this episode of MSP 1337. Uh, I'm joined this week by Eric Hansen of Inland Productivity. Welcome, Eric. Hey, good to be good to be back, Chris. Gas prices and meat shortages was something that you and I had just kind of touched on. I guess it's been a week now, and it's a good thing we didn't talk about it a week ago because we really didn't have enough content per se to really talk about it until now yeah uh as we have these new breaches that are like hey look this is really what it's about we're kind of going in circles with i don't want to say our conversations but i feel like after you know 35 plus episodes on this show while we aren't talking about necessarily the same specific item in the a to z of of security best practices to you know take the war to the, the threat actors but I feel like we're kind of repeating the problems with different conversations. So maybe you can help me um, break this apart. And, and let's use the, uh, the gas prices and meat shortages as one of the examples, because this is perhaps the first time in a, in, that I can remember where it's become personal to all of us. It's no longer just about, well, it's my workplace that's been impacted. Right, right. Yeah, the... You know, when, when we had those two effectively back to back, you know, a week apart, you know, my thought was, you know, this is going to be the time. This is going to be the one where all of a sudden everybody pays attention. Well, and I think perhaps everyone is paying attention, but in some respects, I think right now um, for the wrong reasons, I don't know how many people I've heard make comments like, well, our administration, and they make this very politicized. And I'm like, well, let's look at the facts. Like, let's look at what happened. I mean, are we going to say, I don't care who the administration is, what party it is, that, hey, our goals in life are like, hey, man, I wonder if we could encrypt a pipeline and see what happens. Tabletop exercise. Let's do it. <laughs> I, yeah. And, and now we know. And now we know that's not even what happened. Right. Uh, we also know through... Um, the calamity of errors, the information that is being shared about what did happen uh, when they when when the FBI made the uh, the media announcement about how the how they were able to recover, uh, I think it was like eighty five percent of Bitcoin that was used for the paying the ransom by by following the private key, uh, and then the next day Bitcoin tanks, right? It goes to the lowest uh, value it had been at in I think in years. Um, and it's like, well, I'm, correct me if I'm wrong here, but isn't the, sh the premise of Bitcoin is once the coins leave, there's no trail that's going with them? Well, that's the theory, but obviously that's not true. Otherwise, the blockchain would be broken, right? Right. So, but, but did they truly follow the private key or is it a 
not being able to articulate well because the people that are talking about it to the media aren't the people that actually did the how we did get it back or how we did get anything right right so yeah the you know my my thought and you know as usual we're already going off off track because you know that's how my brain works the uh the bigger problem or well i i shouldn't even say a problem problem a problem. a problem, yeah. A problem is you know that they said anything about being able to get that back at all. They took that action. Took I, I I'm not even sure what word to use here. Let uh, me let me try this. That, let me try this because I think we've talked enough times for this to maybe also be in my head. It's like having somebody run a transaction on your credit card and being able to reverse the charges, like. Yeah. Would you tell anybody that that was possible if they accidentally, like, I, I think about it like this. If you get double charged at a store and you call them up and say, hey, you charged me twice. They're like, hey, no problem. We'll take care of it right now. Then you go look at your credit card statement and it says both transactions were reversed. Like, yeah. Do you say anything <laughs> then? On the flip side of this, if we're trying to get money back from bad guys and we get it all back, do we want the world to know that we were successful or do we want to start working Bingo. with those that have the problem and say, Hey, keep a lid on this, pay the ransom. We have a way to get your money back. Right. Or, or, you know, a chunk Some of it. it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the, I think the other effect is that what it did was we had, I mean, I hate to say it, but we had a security event that affected enough people in a fundamental enough way that, Oh crap! Maybe I need to start paying attention to this. We had a breach of a of a um, relatively large organization in my area um, that hasn't been publicly disclosed, but we happen to have uh, three or four clients that do business with them in one way, shape, or form. And boy, did they all of a sudden started paying attention to conversations we've been trying to have with them literally for years it's like look this crap does happen it hasn't right. happened to you you know fortunately uh, the 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 steps we've taken and the steps that your employees have taken and the fact that they've listened has worked and, the and we haven't had this problem right but i mean this very visceral fear came over this very small group and i think that more visceral fear because of how how much the colonial pipeline um really affected people you had their attention right and as soon as as soon as they released the news that hey and guess what we got most of most of that bitcoin back right the attention went away oh well no big deal they got well they got the money back it's only like five million bucks it wasn't even like it was a lot of money I mean, anytime we tell a Disney story with the happy ending, then no one wants to hear the story because if you said Disney, you already have this preconceived notion that it has a happy ending. And right. speaking of Disney, this was on the radio this morning. Uh, they were talking about like, what are the like dumbest things you've had a customer or consumer at Disney, like be upset and angry about. And this was from a former employee of Disney and she goes on to say, like, this family was, like, extremely angry at, at staff. They had checked into their hotel. 
they had gone to their room and they had come back down and are complaining to management that their luggage has not been brought to their room. And like, they are like livid about this. They're like, uh, you know, what does your luggage look like? Um, what time did you check in? So it's like, obviously it's been a long time. So they're looking all over the hotel. Finally, some genius asks them, where did you leave your luggage? And they're like, well, we left it on our front porch because we paid for the magical experience. And so <laughs> like they assumed that the magical experience sent like a carpet or, you know, some other magical transportation to go to their home and pick up their bags and bring them. And if that really were the case, you know, we would all say like, wow, that's great. Until we're like, well, we knew that wasn't going to happen. So halfway through what I'm telling you, you already know that the outcome is going to be like, they were a bunch of idiots. So you tune <laughs> out, right? Like you tune right. out. And I think that's the, that's the scenario here that we're dealing with right now is we're being told that there was a happy ending. I don't want a happy ending. In fact, for you and I, any happy ending means that those that we're trying to help make sure this doesn't happen to them at all are now less likely to write a check or get serious about making changes to their own way of doing business. Right, right. And, you know, it's not, you know, from my perspective as an MSP, it's not necessarily about the check. I mean, the check is nice. You know, well, I'm we, not saying we, so much our check is their willingness to part with money right. to help fix the problem. But sometimes it's not even money True. to fix the problem. Sometimes it's just you need to change these policies right. that I'll, I'll help you do in your managed contract because right. I'm smart enough to know if I've reduced their risk, I have subsequently reduced my risk. And, and I think that's the, to some degree, I would love to say that when we talk about cybersecurity and the threat actors and how we, the, how we you know, address you know, reducing risk, we get into this mindset of buying products or services or making changes to the way we do things in an effort to eliminate risk or to eliminate the problem. And I think if we get more of the mindset of my goal is to reduce by X, or even to just say, I'm going to put this in place because I know it will reduce by something, which means I've lowered it by something that doesn't have to be a large number because it was little to no effort on some of the things. It's like, check the box, flip the yeah. toggle, you know, your mm -hmm. users won't even know, but at least you're not wide open. Yeah. Turn, turn this, turn this policy on, you know, why are you connecting uh, with top three to use in your mail, your mail <laughs> client? Well, that's the only way I could get access to the mail. And it's like, well, yeah, you're right. 10 years ago, when you signed up for that Gmail service and used the mail client, Maybe it didn't support it then. That doesn't mean that there weren't some changes over the last 10 years. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. And, and, and that's a know. zero cost. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, and it's like that when we go through a, a, with a new customer, um, you know, we our first one of the first things we do is, you know, we go through that network and just find all the low hanging fruit. It's like. So there's no lockout policy on the domain accounts. Who does that, right? You know, if you go and set up a new 365 uh, tenant, it Microsoft turns, it defaults yeah. to turning that on. But if you've uh, had that 365 tenant in place for th three years, it, it was not defaulted turned to turn on. on. <laughs> yeah, and, if, yeah. and if somebody didn't go back and turn it on and take, a look at okay here's all the current best practices we gotta go back and fix all these guys that never had those practices put in place 
you know, well, you leave you leave the the barn door wide open. So that that and, brings up two things, right right there. Two things I think are really important. What was before versus what is now. Best practices change. That's why they're called best practices. If they if they didn't change, that would just be a practice. And at some point in time, maybe maybe in somebody's mind, it's still the best one. But did you check it? Like, is it the only one still available to apply to the environment? You know, two-factor authentication didn't exist for most vendors' products four or five years ago. Now those same vendors all have it built in. And if they aren't telling you you have to use it, it's definitely encouraged. And you're getting the noise in your inbox that says, you should turn this on. Oh, ab- yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, another, another thing, just I don't even know why I'm, well, I'm going to bring it up because I'm going to bring it up. Yeah, that's um, what we should do. <laughs> you know, we, we're going through with, with a couple of clients right now. They're like, well, why does the network drive work like this? Why is the, why is the security the way it is? It's like, well, if I had a brand new sheet of paper and we are building a brand new network, I would approach it in such a different way than it was approached 10, 20, maybe 30 years ago. Yeah. Right. Right. When you, when you started to do this, it was, look at this. I have this cool shared resource. I can put there, put stuff there and other people can see it. Right. And, you know, today, how would we approach it? Okay. Here's your three shares or, you know, whatever you need to do. And each department has a share and only the people in that department with, you know, that have read, write or read only, or, you know, whatever we would approach that a completely different way. But Mr. Customer, I would love to do that for you, but all I have to do is go in and remove all the rights on everything in your network to fix it. Well, well how long will that take? Longer from, than you're going to be comfortable right. with. <laughs> well, I mean, I think that's a really valid point as to why I think there's a, a, a huge urgency to go to like a cloud, OneDrive, whatever it might be, because it changes the dynamics around how file sharing really gets used, right? Because if I have files that I didn't share with you before, but I put them in a folder that natively was shared with everybody, I just did that because that's where I was told to store stuff. When we use OneDrive and some of these other things, you're putting some responsibility and and even accountability on me with the documents that I am creating and am responsible for that turns one person who's responsible for security into the entire organization has now got a shared responsibility, a shared stake in, in securing that data. Yeah. But then so do you, you encourage have... that or do you still, I mean, you just bring up a really valid point. Like how do you fix something that doesn't necessarily have a clean, even if you did do the best job in the world on correcting that, how certain can you be that you, you got it clean enough when you put the pieces back together um, without going elsewhere with it? Yeah. I, I, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't have that crystal ball. The, the thought, you know, for local storage, right. you know, the, the thought is, okay, well, when we do the next server migration, right. We stand up new shares. We rip all the rights off as we move things from point A to point B. The problem is, you know, you get, you get linked spreadsheets and all sorts of other stuff that you potentially break (laughs) irrevocably. 
I was just going to say, let's assume for a minute that a company's lifespan with current employees has a lifespan of, say, 20 years. And in those 20, in that 20 years time, you have new employees that come in throughout. You don't, let's just say you don't have any that leave, but they, they come in throughout this 20 years. They shift departments, they get promoted, they get demoted. We've seen that too. Who's going back through and just checking that data that was supposed to be shared with the person who used to be in marketing is now in accounting or vice versa, that that integrity is staying intact? Because I think that's almost a bigger problem than where is the data when it's on local storage? Because usually you do a search and like, oh, I put it in the F drive as opposed to the S drive, but you still found it. And as long as right. we can find it, we don't care where it lives. Right. And, and as an end user, I care even less about the security of it. I was able to get the thing I needed to get. So I'm good. Should, and should they, but should they care about it more than that? Like we're talking about local storage in a confined environment that has a responsibility on me, the user to open it up, do what I'm supposed to do and close it and go on to my next task. Right. Well, I mean, maybe it doesn't matter that much yeah okay so so sally at the front desk knows how much the ceo makes you know and, and everybody else because she found that information but it's still relatively contained right in, in the overall scheme of things now you know? she emails the spreadsheet to outside local storage or moves it to a cloud storage that's not work related mm-hmm. well so now we've got a now we've got a data leak problem Right. And created by, created by an employee who probably should be fired if we ever discover that this happened. Well, but, let's 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 rewind to the part where let's say they were playing by it's 20 years into this. And now we have things like 365 and some other resources. If they're putting it in something that was, say, work provided, they're not doing it with the intent of maliciousness or, uh, you know, just sheer ignorance as far as like, I think that there's this challenge that says, if I fire you because you did something wrong, then anytime somebody does something wrong, they're going to do everything they can to hide it. Yeah. And that the goes back to one, but yeah. Yeah. Well, and that goes back to now we're going way far afield. You know, the, the problem that we have whenever we're supporting somebody, it's like, would you just tell me what it is you did? I don't care. I'm not, I'm not going to be mad. Just tell right. me what dumb thing you did. <laughs> yeah. Right. Hour into troubleshooting, like, well, I found this Google knowledge base article yeah. and I was halfway through it before I couldn't go any further. So I called you. Awesome. What Google article did you look at? <laughs> well, I don't remember. And right. I cleared my browser history. Right. Um, right. Yeah, yeah. No, the, <laughs> you got, yeah, you've got, you've got that problem of you know people don't want to admit and i'm not sure why you know the the they don't want to admit well i did something dumb it's like it's way easier and saves everybody a lot more heartache if you just say yeah i did this i don't even know why you know using using a line that your kid would use on you well why'd you do this dumb thing oh i don't know well you've known me for a long time i when i first started doing it stuff i did a lot of dumb things um, I think I learned from most of them, but I think that's part of the problem. I think if more users were willing Wait, to look, admit, look, shiny objects, right. shiny objects. <laughs> if more, if more end users were truthful out of the gate to getting problems solved, I think they would actually be further along in their ability to take ownership and learn as opposed to, 
I don't know what happened. It's broken. You fix it. Don't show me what you did because I don't want to know. I just want it fixed. Right. Right. Because they've right. wasted and time the, at this point. Yeah. And to and to bring this back sort of back into its lane, you know, that's my concern, if you will, with with putting the onus on individuals um, that that don't really understand security. Right. Uh, to be responsible for security. You know, I, the the decision you make when you share a file from OneDrive or any of these other cloud-based storages, you know, of who can see it. You know, you, you give you give the end user, you know, certainly by default, right. you give the end user the ability to share pretty much anything, anything with anybody. Really, right? yeah, you're right. Um, and in fact, what's what's really unfortunate is that you put some DLP in place, you know, data leak prevention. Um, for those that maybe didn't know what DLP was, just in case. Uh, <laughs> I thought that was something on a projector. Uh, yeah, it, I, well, it, it depends on it depends on what kind of projector you're putting in, but that is that is a good there, point. Th there you go. There's also DLP on on TVs too. If you have an old enough one, it was uh, it was the projector inside a TV. Uh, well, so as we are bringing this back, I think this is truly everything we've talked about, I think is relevant to this piece. Going back to the Colonial Pipeline, the recent breaches of security uh, and ransomwares with, with uh, some of these meat uh, companies, it does come down to users. It does come down to, I'm going to say in some cases, a complete lack of understanding about what data is important and what data is not important in the context of it being valuable to somebody else. And I think this comes back to the pieces that we talk about when we go to configure, say, a 365 account, or we go to configure uh, any application and we aren't putting security first. And when we talk about it all the time, oh yeah, we're, we're a security first MSP. We're focused on security is at inception when we're doing an architecture of a new server or, or any number of things. Even if that's true, are we doing it based on what is vendor best practice or are we doing it based on what we know is the best practice based on experience, what the environment's telling us around us right now and the compliance frameworks that are out there to say, hey, best practice from Microsoft might say to do it a certain way. But when I look at the compliance control that maps to that, it's like that not only is right from a compliance standpoint, that's a better way to do it. But it also is proving the point that what is in place, if I follow best practices, actually isn't secure. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, and and to to pile on the the colonial pipeline stuff, if you think about how that actually happened, you know, it's a problem that we see in small and medium businesses. You sit down at your, you know, technical review, whatever shiny name you want to put on it, so that you feel that the you know, so the customer feels like they're getting value out of that visit. Oh, sure, yeah. But but do you sit down with the user list? Here's all the enabled users. Let's make sure they still actually all work here. Uh, I mean, that would have that would have prevented that problem in all probability. Uh, because I think it was we, an, didn't it know, start with a generic VPN. Yeah, it was a generic VPN, and, and I think they got in using a uh, uh, an account that had been for for a long since departed employee that was still active. You know um, how. How'd that get missed? Well, this is this is what comes to mind when you say that. 
there was a book published many years ago. Uh, the book was called The Cuckoo's Egg. I believe the author was Chuck Stoll. And I believe it was the first account ever recorded of cyber espionage in the United States by a foreign actor. The way they got in was through a terminal that was open and they were able to elevate their privileges by using generic default credentials. And this is in the days of put in the, put in the, the floppies, it's even before floppies. You fast forward and we can't even get past the fact that we're still doing the same things we did back in the 70s. So if we can't solve that problem, then you know it's hopeless. I would, I would argue though that because the cost has come down to free for things like two-factor authentication, it's no longer, it's almost considered a crime to be a vendor who provides a product and then goes, two-factor authentication, what's that for? Yeah, why would you need that? Why would you need that? And so it's interesting that we're in 2021 and the companies that make switches and access points and all of these products that actually look at traffic that flows through them and to manage them, I still don't have a two-factor authentication option. And in many cases, I can't change the username if I, if I can even change the password or yeah, the tools I, I we actually, use. Yeah, yeah. I just, I, I, the other day we had uh, someone we're helping with their cyber insurance renewal and it was declined because they didn't have two-factor authentication. And it's like, okay, well, we can turn that on. We can add that. And I'm like, find out what, what the response is. So I get the attestation back and it is literally asking for multi-factor authentication on switches and firewalls and, and things just like, yeah, it doesn't do that. My copier doesn't do multi-factor authentication for me to log into its administrative interface, nor does my smart connected thermostat, you know, well, my internet of things, things that, well, I have one of these at home. It's really cool. We should have these in the office. And then they get slapped on the wall and, you know, attached because the, the end users know, they know enough to get that working. There's why would and you know should we be looking for that? Well, yeah, now manage well, well manage clients. Yeah, we're, what's this thing that appeared on your network that doesn't belong? Well, let's 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 think even. Let's assume for a minute we do a good job. We VLAN those out in order to get into those devices. You've got to you had two factor multi factor to get onto the VLAN to get to those devices. Theoretically, you could create a case to satisfy what they're asking for in the attestation. I have a bigger concern than that. Rewind a little bit and think about like how we see bad things happening on a network. Uh, you know, is that a Windows machine? Is that a Mac? Is that a copier? We use the SNM, SNMP protocol, right? Heaven help you if you get very, you know, granular with the security on your SNMP and you're like, those are valid credentials and it's rejecting them every time. Now I can't see what's going on at all. What's the lesser of the two evils when I'm trying to create a right. secure environment? And I can't tell you if that is an authorized device or unauthorized because the SNMP credentials are failing. Or uh, that assumes that you can even change the SNMP credentials. You know, True. a lot of things are just public and open and you can read right. it. Right. You know? so, so there you have it right there. I think that is where we're, it's like we're shoving stuff under the, the rug or under the bed to talk about these other pieces that are tangible and probably easier to put in place, at least from a, uh, I can see it and touch it, right? But right. 
the attestation, I think, is a good example of are they asking questions that they already know that there is no answer for in a way to not provide coverage? Because that would be dumb if you're an insurance company, because then you don't have clients. But well, I don't know. You know, I, I think our business, the MSP business, is going to be in a world of hurt a year from now when it comes time for people to be renewing their cyber coverage, because you've already got carriers who will not write for IT companies, period. End of conversation. And is that because of the liability that an IT company takes on with the clients that are not willing to do two-factor authentication? Yeah. Well, I, I don't know exactly what the thinking is. Right, but, but obviously, obviously they're seeing more risk than reward. You know? I, I think that that should be a wake-up call though, right? Like every MSP I talk to, I know can do better. And I know if I'm talking to you as an MSP, you would say the same thing. Absolutely. We, we can easily have the conversation that says, do as I say, not as I do. And it's not for lack of trying, right? As an MSP, how many times do we ingest things that we have to take on? And it's like, how do I figure out how to solve this without turning the security level down to figure it out before I can turn it back up? And oh, wait, there's another fire to go put out. Right. You know, how do you go through whatever your password tool is? You know, if you have a shared password tool, you have the you have the information you need to audit to see how good your employees are being about password hygiene. Well, and, and, and what what is good password hygiene? Just because I have the same password used in eight places doesn't necessarily mean that that's bad when the places that I'm putting them go back to what you said. I can't change the credentials anyway. Right. Right. Well, yeah, yeah. If I can't change the credentials, that that already left the gate. But how many but, can you check, right? If you're checking your employees right. and, you know, 18 passwords or 50 passwords in my password manager are tied to my ability to log into switches in different client environments that are all generic, am yeah. I doing a bad job securing? Password managers would say, yeah, you're doing a terrible job with unique passwords and security. And there's no, there's actually no answer to solve that problem. And yet any insurance yeah. company would be crazy to insure me. Right, right. Hey, look, they well, use generic passwords. 40% are generic. They're default passwords. And it's like, yeah, insurance company, I can't change it. Let's see what switches you're using in your environment. Right, <laughs> yeah, yeah. How do I turn that around on you? Yeah, how are we going to do insurance um, on the insurer? Well, and, and you look at the, at what, uh, oh, I can't remember who the, who the uh, insurance company was that paid a big ransom. It's like, oh yeah. And they write cyber. Um, you know, and they paid a $20 million ransom, but so, so is there know, light at do? the end of the tunnel? So I'll just say this. I think we've kind of done a pretty good covering the colonial pipeline, at least using keywords like colonial pipeline multiple times in, in this podcast. What does the post breach assessment actually look like? We've been talking about it a little bit without really calling it what it is, because if right. the insurance company is asking questions that are not possible to satisfy and you know putting the no answer in is going to be definitely not getting coverage do you put yes in the radio button to say yes we are doing this but then go and put in place like we were talking about if i if i vlan it out you've got all these other pieces in there that show that in order to get to it i have multi-factor authentication and i can right. definitively show that the equipment we are reaching to to make changes to doesn't support at the box those changes, is an insurance company going to be able to decline the coverage when some scrutiny gets put on it by say a judge or an attorney? Right, right, right. Yeah, well, that was the, 
kind of the question we went through as we as we were going through this particular I'll, I'll leave the insurance company names uh, insurance company's name out of it but as we are going through this it's like now wait so you want anybody who has administrative access to a an endpoint was the term on, uh, in in this particular attestation you want multi factor authentication to every endpoint or anyone that has administrative rights. So you're an MSP, you go out, you replace a machine. Right. Okay. Are we enforcing multi-factor at the desktop level? In most cases, no. Maybe for remote access to it. But in, you know, in most cases, do I sit down at my desk, type in a username and password, and then have to do multi-factor authentication? Probably not. Right. So if you have a, the local administrator password on a machine, it's not joined to a domain, so I have no way to right. enforce multi-factor, and I have to join the thing to the domain, I'm already in violation. There's no way I can say yes. Right. And, and even if you could say yes, post changes that you can make, every time an asset gets brought into that environment is at least failing to be compliant for a period of time. Correct. If the breach happens during that period of time, well, then the clause would say you're not paying the, 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 the payout. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, is that the intent? I suspect it's not, but is that what's written? Yeah. And I mean, I went so far as to tell the, tell the client, you know, look, we need to uh, get an underwriter on the phone with an agent. Cause an, of course an underwriter can't talk to you. Right. Um, we need to get an underwriter on the phone with an agent so that we can ask this set of questions. So we know, you know, can, can we check? Yes. Can't or, or can't we, you know, yeah. I, I would argue your cell phone probably has multi-factor authentication. Even if the email account that's on it doesn't have multi-factor authentication. It's, it's funny you say that. I've been playing phone tag with an insurance company that just acquired an entity that used to be, or that still is one of my clients. And um, they're asking about the assessment that needs to be done or audit, if you will, on annually because of healthcare sensitive data. They're like, we do this annual audit. And they're like, you know, hey, this acquisition happened. You know, when do we need to do this audit? And I'm like, well, we probably need to do it pretty quick. Walk me through what's going on. So like, all of the technology is being replaced. All of these things are changing. And I'm like, as soon as you're done making those changes, we need to do that assessment right away. And then we need to still do the one that's scheduled for the end of the year. And the response I got was, why? And I said, because if you want to tell an auditor that nothing was wrong in your environment before the change happened, okay, great. Well, how do we know that what you did isn't the reason the breach happened? I mean, yeah. it, I would like to say that it's not, but if you don't check the environment six months goes by, how long did the threat actor live in there because you introduced it when you made the technology change? Right, right. Well, and, and you know, we, it's well documented, these threat actors, they get, they get in and they linger and right. they gather intel and they figure out what they're going to do. That's why, you know, when... And a lot of them leave, right? Like if there's nothing there, they're like, we're wasting time. Let's go find something that's valuable. Right. Right. And, and they might, you know, just leave their footprints there and, and whatever's calling home. If you're not using the right tools, you'll, you'll never know this thing's calling home. Hell, they could have been in there for a year and a half. 
somebody else and then they come back when you hire yeah you come they come back when they realize wait the data changed this data looks interesting let's go back and finish what we started <laughs> yeah it's like it's like crypto mining right like if you've got a footprint in enough places it's not about going and cleaning out right away wait until you see something valuable right right for sure well, Eric, I, I think we've probably made it clear that two things are true. One, people don't like change. And there are some things with two-factor authentication and some other items that are, well, they're almost trivial to, to, to say. They're, you don't have to pay for them, right? Like this isn't a cost per se when you've got the likes of Google and Microsoft giving them away. Um, what's one thing that you would share with the, the listeners that says, hey, if you haven't done this, with your clients, it's at least a starting point. I don't know. I, if you haven't found a way to scare the hell out of them, find a way to scare the hell out of them because that seems to be the only thing that gets them to act. So well, I almost think that that's like saying, are you, if you're not afraid, should I be looking to replace that client? Because at this point, I shouldn't have to be the one doing the scaring. It's like, turn on the news. We've got the apocalypse of, of technology and security right, <laughs> right. now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, you know, may, maybe, maybe the answer is you just have to have the balls to go to them and say, look, if you won't do these things, we can't work for you anymore. Right. I can no longer tolerate the liability to my business. And my insurance company has reminded me as such. Right. The insurance industry is making it clear to our industry. Right. That we have to do better. The, the gloves are and off part of doing and, better is yeah. making you do better. Right. Which I think is kind of a good thing because, well, it's not kind of a good thing. It is a good thing because if there is pressure to do it with real consequences prior to actually having a breach happen, maybe, just maybe, the clients will go, you're right. I've dragged my feet long enough. These are important things. I too want to get gas at the local gas station. And when it doesn't have gas, I lose. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, you know, maybe, maybe it's that you know, these insurance companies get smarter and for your clients that are carrying cyber, because I'm sure there are some that aren't, um, for the people who are carrying cyber when it comes renewal time and, you know, they send you the form, be brutally honest with it. Yeah. And, and you yeah. know, look, here's, here's why they're asking this question and here's why I'm concerned about it. It's, it's about you, but it's also about me and my organization, the people's payrolls that I support and all of that. I think that's a great answer. I think that really is where it's at, is that you are, if you haven't already, going to be answering lots of questionnaires or helping your client answer questionnaires. If you're not brutally honest, you both lose. Yeah. Well, you got to be brutally honest and, right. and document. Here's what I sent them. And then if they decide that, yeah, well, I'm going to check that box anyway. When you, you at do? least have the documentation and hopefully you get a copy of the responses on those questions to make your own decision that says, Sayonara, guys. Yeah. Hey, send me a copy of that when you send it to your broker. I right, just want right, to see how right. you filled yeah, it out. I just want to make sure that if we were on the same page, and also this is my phone number. Have your broker give me a call if they have any questions about the about the answers that you put in there. <laughs> yeah. You said your broker's name is Wuku. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> All right, Eric. Well, this has been a episode of MSP 1337. Thanks for being on the show. And for those of you out there, thanks and have a great week.